0: Hey Connor, nice to have you on the podcast. For the people awesome. that don't know, Connor became financially free through real estate investing by the age of 27. And he is looking to help other people that are millennials and Gen Z reach that financial freedom mark earlier. He, like some of you, maybe, are is working in corporate and left his corporate job to be able to have all the time freedom to do whatever he wants at any given point. So welcome to the podcast, Connor.
1: Patrick, thank you for having me. And yeah. it's great to officially meet you, man. I know we've been chatting on Facebook last, uh, last week or so. So it's good to officially see you. And I'm excited to do this.
0: Oh, yeah, man. It's going to be great. What's your story? How did you get started? How did, what was your background?
1: Sure. So my background is actually not in real estate. My professional career started in the medical field. So I got into medical sales very young, worked really hard and had a good amount of success very quickly. And by the age of 23, I was the head of sales and operations for the state of Michigan for a national durable and disposable medical equipment company. And when that happened, I thought that everything would change. I thought I would be happy. I thought I'd feel fulfilled. Thought that the skies would part and my world would change, but none of that happened, and I felt hollow. And I felt hollow because I was building something else for someone else. It wasn't mine. And hopefully that that may resonate with a lot of people listening to this call, where you're working in these big companies and you're, they're big machines, and it's hard to feel purpose in that format. And here I was at 23. All my peers were in their 40s and 50s, so you know, thought I would feel like I had made it, but that wasn't the case. And around that same time, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad came into my life and just changed everything for me. And I thought, wow, like I could have purpose in my life through this crazy idea of investing in real. literally three months after reading that book, I had moved back to Houston, where I'm from originally and bought my first house and I had no guidance, no mentorship. I was operating with a very simple formula. And that formula was wealthy people own real estate. So if I can find ways to own real estate, I too can become wealthy. And from there, it just became a matter of how can I find ways to buy real estate? So at the time I was working in medical sales full-time and by full time, 60 to 80 hours a week, medical conferences, most weekends, I was covering four states racking up a lot of frequent flyer miles. And what's interesting and a big misconception about investing in real estate while you have a full-time job is a lot of people think that if you have the full-time job you start investing in real estate, you're going to do worse at your... But for me and for most people, it's the opposite. Once you have that thing that you're excited about and a place to, to put your money it's you just you go full force into your job because that's where you're making the money so i doubled down on personal development and growth and really just sharpening my skill set in the medical sales field and i wanted to make as much money as i could because the more money i made the more money i could put into real estate and for me it things started to compound once i got around the right people got better guidance with how i should be investing my capital And after a couple of years at the age of 27, hit the financial independent mark. And shortly after that, retired from corporate America to go full-time into real estate, not just as an investor and flipper, but as an agent as well, with my mission being to help millennials and Gen Z achieve freedom and purpose and autonomy in their lives through real estate. Because there's so much confusion and frustration and anger towards the housing market and from that age group, from that demographic. And here I am, a millennial, and I love real estate. And I feel like it's just because I dove in, fell on my face a bunch, but luckily had some people show me how to do it. And it's a lot easier than you think, regardless of your financial situation, where you're at with your job or money in the bank, there's ways to do it. And so that's really my mission now, helping Gen Z and millennials get into real estate. Yeah, it's an awesome story, story,
0: man. It's an awesome story. And it's crazy how you were grinding in a specific field and you realized, wow, there is a cap and it's not really as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. And you start realizing that the rich don't, as Robert always says, Mm -hmm. uh, how do you say his last name?
1: Robert Kiyosaki.
0: Kiyosaki, yeah. As he always says is you want to buy assets, poor people buy liabilities, right? And it's interesting because it's true. So when you bought that first property, what was the goal with buying that first property? Was it to make money or was it really just to, was it primary residence? What what was the whole point?
1: The first property was a primary residence. And for everyone listening to this, I've got some really bad news for you. Your first property isn't gonna make you rich, okay? But your first (laughs) property, what it's gonna do is it's going to set the foundation for learning and growth and development for you to have an incredible financial footprint. And that's what it did for me. Luckily, I bought a house that was under market value. It needed a good amount of cosmetic updates which I did over the course of the next year. And at that time, I found out about bigger pockets and learned about cash out refinances. And yeah, and so I unintentionally did a BRRRR. If anyone, if you're not familiar with the BRRRR, it's an acronym that stands for Buy, Renovate, Rent, Refinance, Repeat. So it's a way to recycle your capital if you buy correctly. Luckily, I purchased under market value. So that's what I did. I fixed up the house as I lived in it. And it was working full time in medical. So sometimes I'd do the work myself. Oftentimes I, I had a contractor where I'd be out of town. He had a key to the house. He'd, he'd, he'd be working there while I was in New Mexico or wherever selling different stuff to doctors. And and then, yeah, of course, year got it fixed up and then bought another house after and then moved into that one and rented out that first primary. And then I was able to just snowball from there because I had one rental property. And I, I thought mm-hmm. that was... So wild. Oh my gosh. Landlord. Wow. You get yeah. that
0: check in the mail. You're like, yeah. wow, this is awesome. I just slept yeah. all, I didn't even do anything in the whole month and I just got 400
1: bucks or whatever it is. Well, I remember specifically that moment where I thought, wow, this, I think I'm going to like this. It's, <laughs> it was end of October. And I remember there was going to be like a month before that the tenant moved in or something there, there's like a gap, right where. I'd bought the new place, and gap in between. A tenant texts me and says, "Hey, can we move in a month early?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." So they drive over to my place, and a tenant runs up, knocks on my door, hands me a check for eighteen fifty or nineteen hundred or something, and says, "All right, gotta run, bye," and leaves. And I remember just looking at that check, thinking, "Like, wow, that is <laughs> wild." <laughs> so you, you didn't know, have to convince them. You don't have to door. sell them. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, I need to get a lot of these. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. That, that was like the turning point where I'm like, okay, yeah. jets are going on. Let, let's do this.
0: I think it becomes more real when it's an actual check in person versus yeah. just hits your bank account. I feel like that person yeah. handing it over to you and saying, take my money, my $2,000 because you are providing a service and you don't, it's just insane, man. It's just an insane feeling for sure. Okay. So that addiction, right? So you got that check, right? And at that point, you probably, your dopamine spike and you're like, wow, this is what I want to do. This is it. it. This is awesome. So from there, you bought your next property. Why were you going towards the primary residence
1: route? Why didn't you just buy it as a as an investment property. At the time, it was I w- it was under the impression that the only way to buy an investment property was 20% down. I knew I wanted to move to a different part of town, different part of Houston. It was like, let me buy a new primary, got there, got situated, and then started buying houses 20% down, which you do the math on that, you run out of capital pretty quickly. So I I remember telling myself, okay, if I can buy one house a year for 5 years, by the time I'm 30, I'll have five houses and I was like, "Oh my god, that'd be crazy." But and so I was doing the math, $100,000 house, 20% down. I was probably going to be another five in closing costs, another five to fix it up. So about 30K a year, I need to be liquid. And I'm like, I can do that. I can make that happen. And did a few like that and then met some guys that were using hard money. And then I was like, okay, like <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah. And hard money, it's it seems so scary whenever you don't know about it, because you look at this, granted, we're in some relatively high inflationary period right now with 7%, but- back then you're buying houses at 3%. So the idea of taking out a loan with a 12% interest rate it seemed like you were an escaped mental patient doing that, but once I saw some guys that I knew well were doing that and that's how they were underwriting their deals and able to scale, it started to the abstract started to become more tangible. And I thought, okay, that's how I need to be structuring deals. But then you, you, once you go down that road, you're doing a totally different buying criteria. You need to buy extremely distressed and way below market value to have the deals make sense with those interest payments. But it's it's a better strategy for we're actually scaling, but that, that's another conversation for, for another time and get yeah. in the weeds with all that. But yeah, awesome. So,
0: so you got your second property. What was what's next? What's really on your mind? How do you scale this thing?
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's, I think it was really like once I got to four or five, that's when everything started changing because it's funny. And everyone listening to this, you probably hear this, right? If you've got one property or, or two, your friends and family are probably telling you, like, wow, you're doing all that work and your cash flow is a hundred a door or $200 a door. Is that worth it? Like, the short answer is no, it's not worth it for the capital for the, the back cash flow. But whenever you own real estate, you make money four ways. And the cash flow is honestly one of the things that I care least about. So, you make money from cash flow, you make money from debt pay down from the tenants. Whenever you have a tenant paying down your rent, you make money from the appreciation, which we'll talk about in a second. And then you make money from the tax benefits so the, the things you can write off. Those first handful of houses that you get, focus uh, for, for me, I focused on buying in areas that had a lot of appreciation. I thought these houses are going to be worth a lot more in a couple of years. They're not going to cash flow great, but the appreciation is going to be there. So what I did was I had these properties sit for a year or two. It went up in value. Did cash out refinance, pulled out a good amount of capital, and, and then I had some money to play with. And then was, okay. then I was okay. able to scale it. And then as you buy more, you have more cash flow. Then your expenses go down. And then then at yeah 27, whenever I hit the financial independent mark, where my whole life was paid for with my real estate. What was so exciting about that was it's you hear financial independent, you think, wow, okay, he's gonna retire and go sitting on a beach somewhere and drink fruity drinks with an umbrella straw. But yeah. no, the reason it was so exciting was because then I knew all the money I made in medical sales, 100% of it could go back into my real estate. And that's what was the most exciting thing about hitting that, that mark. For sure. And
0: so did you quit your job since then, or do you still? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm totally out of medical. Yeah, full time in, in real estate. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So,
0: do you? So, your strategy is just buying single-family homes and doing the burn
1: method. So, actually, I do multifamily as well. Got it. So, I have, yeah, I have a couple of different strategies. Um, most recently, there's been, yeah, I've been getting into the short-term market, short-term rental market, Airbnb, BRBO, Furnish Finder. So, essentially, a place that is furnished where you can charge a premium, and I've taken a different approach than a lot of people may have you think airbnb and you think big beach house right or a big house where you fit 20 people in there and the big family rents it for the weekend but i do the opposite there's something that malcolm gladwell malcolm gladwell is author Mm, yeah Outline. yeah yeah, one of my favorite authors and he has this quote where he said that he looks at what everyone is doing and then he does the opposite when everyone's Started to go to the internet. He said he started spending more time in the library, and that's where he got a lot of his ideas for his book. So everyone doing that, and I said, I "Don't know. That doesn't fit what I want." So I built essentially what I would want if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I, yeah. so one ones that are furnished, that that have a kitchen and good areas, and and yeah, and they've done they've done exceptionally well last last year, yeah. and bought some more as of late. So it's it's been nice. That's awesome with
0: your type of properties what are you seeing in terms of the guests are they easier to deal sure. with or harder what's the customer avatar where yeah. do you find them maybe give a little more info
1: sure yeah here i'll re- rewind and tell you like how i built out the avatar because like the why is so important because for years i, I live in houston so we're right by galveston you may be familiar with, yep. with galveston big vacation rental market it's, it's a beach a beach town yep. And I was super opposed to Airbnb. It just seemed like a headache. It seemed like a mess. And what happened was I was in the process of buying a place and by the closing got pushed back and I was, I don't know, I had to like move out. It was kind of tricky. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to stay, stay in a hotel for a month or two, like while this closing gets worked out. And I was like, let me have this be cool. And I'm going to book an Airbnb. So booked an Airbnb and all I was looking for was a place with a kitchen private place. I didn't want a shared area and I wanted it to be near a lifetime fitness. So that was my criteria. Those three things. It's
0: very easy to
1: satisfy. Yeah, well, um, really in this situation, here's what happened. So I book a place and it's $2,500 or three grand, something like that show up. And I realize I don't have any check-in instructions. So I'm knocking on the door no one's there. I'm texting the host, calling the host. No one answers. This is weird. Airbnb ends up refunding me. The host gets in touch with me later that night and says, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even know the listing was live. I'm like, that's weird. And then I'm like, okay, let me book another one, book another one. The same exact thing happens. And I go and book another place and request a book there. They don't get back to me. And I'm trying for a week to say, hey, take my money. Here's $3,000. All I want is a private unit with a kitchen near Lifetime Fitness. And no one could do that. And so. In that moment, I realized, okay, I'm going to build this. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I literally bought a building near a lifetime fitness and built this. Yeah. And that, so that's my business model. It's catering. To people <laughs> wanted what I want. And it's been. Your so business
0: fun. model is getting whatever the hell you want. That's what I you know. go on and get it. If you can't find it, you just buy the whole building out and there you have it. There, That's your solution. That's the power of real estate right there. Totally.
1: <laughs> and then it's funny with the actual clientele and your audience may be familiar with this already. The surprising thing is if you live in a big Metroplex, half your guests are going to be people from the area. I just had a woman say in one of my units and she was there for a month or two and she lived just across town. She's doing some renovations at her place. And uh, so it's super common to get people from in town. And in Houston, it's a big mecca for medical, for oil and gas. Right. So we, it's mostly business travelers. So these are smaller units, sub 700 square feet. So it's not the it's not the party units. It's people are coming mm-hmm. in. There's a desk there where they can work. They're usually right. sometimes gone during the day. So it's there's not a lot of actual like dysfunction or any issues yeah. going on inside the unit. So these are higher caliber renters and guests that that I'm dealing with that. Um, Yeah. So it's a perfect demographic for me to be working with. So I love it.
0: Yeah. And so how many units do you have? Short term rental units? I've
1: got uh, a scrap, just scrap the double digit marks. Yeah. It's getting up there. Yeah.
0: Nice. And they're all one, two bedrooms. So all one, ones, all one, ones. So you're going down the one, one strategy. There are some people in this industry that do that, that do just one ones and, and that's what they love to do. And it works for them. And there's so many. I've got other stuff as
1: well. I've, I've got other single family. So it's not like I'm just all in on this. Yeah. My strategy is actually so with these one ones, um, it's they're in areas with heavy gentrification and they're on large lots. So the plan is to, in four or five years, when we see some great appreciation rates go down a little more, to actually tear these things down and do new builds. So if you're on these, if you're on a corner lot and you're doing a new build, you have two sides of the street that are front facing, so you can actually fit more units on, depending on the layout. So, yeah, so that that's actually my buying one of my buying criteria is right now for what I look for multifamily, large lots, large corner lots, downtown Houston.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the cool thing here is you're planning things three, five years maybe 10 years even in advance. And I think those are the most successful real estate investors, the ones that not only buy cash flow now, but realize, Hey, this is an up and coming area, or this is what I'm going to do in X amount of years after I have a chance to refi. For instance, right now, the people Mm -hmm. that are winning are the ones that are playing chess and are 20 moves ahead. For example, this crazy rates. Yes. Find a property that cash flows. But at the same time, know that later down the road, you can always refi that property and position yourself in a way that makes you a lot more equity and wealth throughout your life.
1: Yeah, marry the house, date the rate. You heard that yep. expression? Yep. Exactly. Yeah. If you love the house, marry it. The rate is temporary. So, one hundred percent. And the great thing is, if a house makes sense with cash flow at seven percent. You're going to love that house at 4%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: I saw my my house I picked up for 3.5% back in COVID times in the Smoky Mountains. No. I realized that my cash flow right now, or sorry, my mortgage and PMI and all that together in taxes is $1,500. Mm-hmm. If with these current interest rates, conservatively, it would have been at least a thousand dollars more, wow. two thousand five hundred. So I would have lost a thousand dollars of some cash flow every month, and this is a pretty big deal. This is a three hundred six thousand dollar purchase. Yeah. You know, so it wow. it does make a difference on cash flow, but once you refi, it's gonna be it's gonna be gravy. It's all gravy.
1: Exactly. And what's that Warren Buffett quote? Be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. I think people are fearful right now. So that, that's, to me, right. it's the time to buckle down and find the deals.
0: 100%. So I do want to get into the last three questions sure. here. So number one, what book do you recommend to people that are listening right now?
1: Oh, tell me a little bit about your audience, because they probably already read Rich Dad, <laughs> Poor Dad. Just, you just know, I don't want to say.
0: Your favorite book. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a short-term rental book. It doesn't have okay. to be a business book for that matter.
1: Oh, okay, man, There, there's a couple. One, one that comes to mind is that uh, it's called The Fish That Ate the Whale. It's a story of Samuel DeMurray. Have you, have you read that I've, one? I've never read it. It's,
0: no, I've never heard of that.
1: It's, it's about this <laughs> Russian immigrant who came over to New Orleans, came over, migrated from Russia to New Orleans in the early 1900s, and essentially built the biggest banana company in the world. And it's a story of how he did it and how he was able to leverage. And I read it at the same time where I was trying to leverage in my own real estate business and was on the fence of feeling comfortable with taking certain risks and hearing his story. It really was a big catalyst to me saying, okay, he did it, he built this banana empire. I need to build my real (laughs) estate empire. And he was so in the thick of it. He was at the height of his wealth and power. He was literally living on these banana plantations Sleeping in huts. That would be, it would be like the equivalent of Tim Cook living in China, sleeping in a shack outside of the Apple factory. So it's just, it's a wild story. The fish that ate the whale, the audiobook's great. Yeah. So I I recommend checking that one. That's
0: the kind of recommendation I was looking for. And honestly, if somebody else says the same book twice, it's probably a really good recommendation. But there's certain charm to books like that, not a lot of people know about but really have an impact
1: on certain people quite frankly i think it's such a timing thing too it is yeah
0: it is a hundred percent so what advice would you give to people that are just starting out and want to get to your level
1: sure um i'd say the best advice is just get something on the scoreboard like i was saying earlier the your first deal probably isn't going to be a home run. And we see it a lot on social media as the wholesalers holding, holding up a check for hundred thousand dollars. And that doesn't happen every day. So just getting a deal, getting something, buying a house buying a primary residence is such a big win in this market, in this landscape. And I talk to my clients about this all the time where, you know, if you're millennial or Gen Z, like it, it seems confusing to buy a house. There's a lot of misinformation out there, but getting that house locked down and where you own that place and it's increasing in value. And in a couple of years you're going to have hundred K in equity. And whenever you go to sell that or rent it out or refinance it, you can capitalize on that equity and then invest it somewhere else. And all that's happening because you bought that house. If you didn't do that, then, and you were just renting that whole time, you wouldn't have that money. So it's just, taking that perceived risk because I I say risk in quotations because I think that it's really not too risky to buy a house with conventional financing because you have the bank being the big brother and the training wheels of the situation and a bank is not going to lend on a property if they don't strongly think that you can pay for this thing um so that's my best advice. Just, just get something on the board and it doesn't have to be the home run deal. Just buy something in a good area that's gonna appreciate. And you from five years from now is gonna be so thankful you get that.
0: I think the number one thing I hear from real estate investors all ages is I wish I started earlier. I oh, tell nice. myself the same thing and people look at me and they're like, you're 26. What do you mean start earlier? You're ready early. And it's it's all perspective at the end of the day. But yeah, so let's dive into this one, which I do want to take some time for us to really dive in. What's the future for Connor and what is your big mission vision moving forward?
1: Sure. My, My mission right now is helping Gen Z and millennials create more freedom and autonomy in their lives through real estate. So that that looks like a lot of different things. Looks like buying primaries and helping them scale to get investment properties. But I think that real estate is the most powerful investment vehicle on planet Earth. I've seen what it's done for me in my life. And hey, I'm a millennial who just bought a house five, six years ago and was able to scale it. And I love my life. My life is awesome. And one of the reasons why my life is so great is because of things that have happened for me in real estate. So if I can help other people experience what I've been able to experience, I, I would love Who, to do that.
0: Whoever is listening to the audio and can't hear it in his voice, I'll let you know right now. Every time he says anything, he has his big ass grin on his face. I'm telling <laughs> you, he is happy. I will oh, say yeah. he looks very happy. So there you have it. Just to <laughs> confirm that. He's not just saying that with a straight face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've got a lot of reasons to smile, man.
0: That's awesome, man. So you're looking to do that. How do you plan on doing that?
1: So really just getting the word out. I've been posting more on social media about this mission specifically and catering a lot of the information that I'm putting out to speak to this demographic, this niche. And like I said earlier, I mean, there's just there's so much frustration and discord and disdain for millennials, like our age group, right? Like I'm sure you see it with the people you grew up with. And uh, it doesn't have to be like that. Life is better when you're not pissed off. And and it shouldn't be, I see all this hatred towards landlords and property owners. And it's just, it's so misplaced, so misguided. And there are people on this planet like Patrick, like myself who are wanting, willing and able to, to help show you the roadmap on how to do these things. I can tell you right now, it's not hard to buy your first house. It's not. Yeah. Even though it seems very
0: daunting. And even if it is daunting, find somebody that you can trust to help you along the way. That's why realtors are thing. I'm going to plug Connor right now as a realtor. That's an example. So find the local expert in that market and go to them. That's the big thing. So there's no excuse not to start. It's just taking action at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So Connor, how can people reach
1: you? So check me out on Instagram and TikTok. It's Connor C O N O R underscore the Kearns group. And Kearns is spelled K-E-A-R-N-S. And from there, you can get get my email and website, all my contact info. But those are the two uh, two best places to reach me.
0: Awesome. So, Connor, thank you so much for sharing your story, inspiring other people. And I, Condomia, your mission is awesome. I think you're gonna freaking kill it follow Connor. He's going to be throwing up way more content out there. We're actually both in the same mastermind for creating more and more content. And that is because we truly believe that we want to give back as much as we can and really help other people realize their mission and visions for their life. Awesome. Thanks for hopping on Connor.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Hey Patrick, thank you for having me. This was awesome. Had a great, great time.